Welcome to the Verbal Gym. I am your host, Dan Green. This is a place where we break down the hard work and the hustle that is required to pursue a career in stand-up comedy. My guest today is a comedian, a writer, actor, and the producer and host of the hilarious twin online comedy shows, Story Smash and Story Worthy. Christine Blackburn, welcome to the Verbal Gym. Hi, Dan. I love this uh, idea, the verbal gym. Hell yeah. It's all about working it out. If you're not working out your comedy, then you're not, it's not going to go anywhere. Well, some people don't really want to. You know, everybody has a different, everybody has a different goal, right? Right. Yeah. So um, some people are not in it the same way. Everybody's in it for their own different, different reasons, you know, exactly. and... So it changed when the pandemic hit. There were people that are already being very, in, yeah, in, ha, using their ingenuity and making things happen because they didn't maybe have the money to, you know, uh, or they didn't have the, the career, you know, to get them the representation, the recording space, the whatever. But so now all of a sudden the pandemic hits and now all of a sudden the the, the level, you know, the field has been leveled and those people that have been sitting back and learning all this stuff, all of a sudden started, it's kind of sprinting ahead. I, I don't know. There's a lot to do. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly right. Um, so how long have you been involved in comedy and where did you get your start? Oh, wow. I, my first time I went on stage was 1992 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And I went up at the Funny Bone. And a lot of people have gone through the Funny Bone in Station Square. It, do, it doesn't exist anymore. But I, uh, I thought to myself, I, I can do it. because, And I only had one joke. That's the thing, Dan. <laughs> I, had, I had one joke and then I, it was at this open mic. It was a Tuesday night at the Funny Bone and I had one joke and then I would just figured I'd figure out the other four minutes. I didn't know, or maybe it was three minutes, but basically, <laughs> you know, and you'll hear that again and again with comedians, like kind of what pushes you over to get you on stage. And what had happened was my husband got another girl pregnant Aww. while we were married. Yeah. Wanker. And I'm flexible, but not that flexible. <laughs> okay, now what do I do with the other four minutes and 30 seconds? <laughs> That's the only joke I had. I had a similar joke. I, I, uh, my, my, my first set, I think, started with, I married a woman I met on a Monday night in a bar. This is a cautionary tale. And that, yeah. was, that was the first thing I said on stage as well. It was, kind of, it was very similar to that. Yeah, it's good. It keeps you, it gets everybody the idea where you are right away. Right. So before that though, you'd, you'd worked as a flight attendant. Do you think that dealing with people at 40,000 feet prepared you for the pressure of dealing pe with people at six feet? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I never equate, I never equated those two things. I really didn't. Uh, you know, unfortunately, being a flight attendant is not a creative job. It's interesting. And, you know, if if on your spare time, you take advantage of it, you go a lot of places, etc. It can be very exciting. But, you know, pe people thought it was glamorous. I mean, if you want to go to Tampa 15 times a month, okay, it's glamorous. <laughs> 
but it's really not glamorous and it's not and and like i said unless you take advantage of stuff but it's definitely not creative it's very much a union job at least here in the united states and so your training date dictates how you get paid do you know what i'm saying so it doesn't right. matter if you're the best flight attendant in the world you or the worst flight attendant in the world if you're the worst flight attendant in the world, you're still getting paid more than the best flight attendant because of seniority. So you couldn't really work your way up. If you're a flight attendant, that's where you're going to be. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's not like you're going to work your way up to pilot. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> I would hope. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I've, <laughs> I've been on some weird planes sometimes where I wasn't quite exactly sure if anybody was actually trained up front. Yeah. But um, so I guess, you you move from being a flight attendant to the Peace Corps. How does that ha does, how does that happen? We're all navigating a way towards comedy here. I can see it. You've gone from doesn't flight everybody to the Peace do that? It seems so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> now I had just been flying for over seven years, and you know I was serving people. That's what I would do. I would serve them. It's very much like being a waitress, up and down, up and down. And it doesn't lead anywhere. You know, it's repetitiveness. Yes, beautiful hotels or, or nice hotels or good meals out or going to different cities and your schedule gets better. But like I said, you're not gonna, it's not going to lead anywhere. And so, you know, the Peace Corps was something extreme. And I had had a couple of friends who'd been th through the Peace Corps and I just admired them so much that they dedicated their life to it. And I was impressed by them. And at the same time, I had been doing a lot of dating on my own. I had boyfriends in three different states. I was always in a different bed, literally and literally. I was all over the place. And I just wanted to slow down. I just needed to slow down. And I thought, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to help people. I'd like to like make a difference in somebody's life. And you, that doesn't happen as a flight attendant. It doesn't, it doesn't. And, 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 and well, anyway, I just wanted out of flying. It wasn't going anywhere. It doesn't lead to anything. And I had been divorced. My husband, as I had said, had gotten another girl pregnant and I just started dating like crazy and I just needed a break. So I started this process of interviewing for the Peace Corps. It took like a year. It's not an easy wow. thing to get into. Yeah. It took a whole year of different interviews and different health, uh, you know, health, uh, right. physical, physicals and stuff like that. And dental appointments, everything. They did scans, not x-rays. So I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say scans, but they did like, it was a thorough they were thorough physical, uh, physicals. Anyway, the point is finally I did get accepted and I was sent to, uh, in your part of the world, somewhere down South called, uh, the, uh, the Tonga, Tonga, the kingdom of Tonga in the South mm -hmm. Pacific, just South of Fiji and North of New Zealand. It's comprised of about 170 islands, but just like 30 are inhabited. So you know how it is down there. You can, it can get very remote very quickly. <laughs> oh, very much so. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so I resigned from the airline. I wanted to get a, I wanted to get a leave of absence, but they wouldn't give it to me. And anyway, I resigned and went to the Peace Corps. Wow. Yeah, yeah I was going to teach. To I teach English as a second language, yeah. I could totally understand uh, helping people in underdeveloped nations. I, when I did 
um, my stint as a UN peacekeeper in the in the army. That was the most satisfying nine months of my entire career. Being able to help people who couldn't help themselves at that point was was phenomenal. And Isn't that actually, amazing? It was yeah, actually giving... hard to adjust back to normal army stuff after doing something mm. like that. Yeah, it's nice to give and volunteer and help people not as fortunate. It seems so obvious, but nobody does it. <laughs> Well, I mean, some people do. Don't get me wrong. Some people are absolute angels. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just yeah. saying it's, it's rare. <laughs> We're in a country, unfortunately, where they've turned empathy into something political. So Yeah, exactly. That, that, is an, that is an issue. So while you're with the Peace Corps, though, you end up with cancer, that, with kidney well, cancer. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it's not really called a kidney cancer. It's called a Wilms tumor. They, I got really sick in the Peace Corps. I got really sick, like delirious. I couldn't, you know, my back, I just, I had all this pain in my back and I was just high fever and they don't have the facilities in Tonga, you know. No, no you don't want to, you don't want to get right. cancer in Tonga, no. Right. I mean, I looked around and I thought, this is not a good place to be sick. <laughs> But I, I did go to the hospital there. And at the time, I understand it's been redone. This has been over 20 years, but they, you know, they didn't have electricity. There was no running water. You know, this girl handed me a coffee cup to, you know, and told me to go to the latrine where there was no paper towels, oh, no toilet paper. I just, you know, pee in this coffee cup and then, you know, give it back and you know who, who knows and then the doctor was barefoot and you know so it's and they thought it was an appendicitis and they they then the doctor essentially said you know i'll take out your kidney tomorrow and i'm thinking <laughs> <laughs> you don't have water so that's not happening anyway the peace corps finally uh, did medevac me to Hawaii, which is the closest state, of course. And uh, yeah, there they did, you know, CAT scans and blood tests. And yeah, I, I, I was diagnosed shockingly with uh, something called a Wilms tumor. Very rare. Very, very rare. Damn, that's, that's, and, yeah, that's it was crazy. crazy. And so, you know, to make a long story short, that ended my Peace Corps career. And then I went back to be a flight attendant. I asked for my job back and the guy essentially said, you know, sorry, bye-bye, take care. Bye-bye. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it was really. But that ended up obviously being a good thing. You know, change is always good, but we it's hard sometimes to go through it. And uh, anyway, that, that made me think, you know, if I can't fly and I can't go back to Tonga, you know, what do I really want to do? And I've always wanted to be, you know, on stage. I wanted to be an entertainer. That's why I had done stand-up earlier at the, at the Funny Bone in, in Pittsburgh, but when you're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I know you're from more than a remote town, Dan. I know your <laughs> upbringing. You're from like, what, 16 kids or so? The point 20, is- 23 is, people. Yeah, same thing. So nobody, <laughs> when I was at, at my age, in my age, you know, there were no, um, in my family, I have a large family, but nobody would have an idea of what to, what to help me with or how to get here, or nobody thought it was even viable or or possible because nobody had a wherewithal. Why would they? You know, they're in Pittsburgh in the suburbs. So, you know, for, for, for me, it was a long, a long, long time it took to get on my path. I wasn't even 31 until I got to Los Angeles. Or I was 31 when I got here. So all my 20s, I, you know, I wasn't wasted. I did a lot of traveling and I was married, divorced. And, you know, so I did a lot. But I didn't get on my path till 31. I'm just saying that's people need to realize that it sometimes it takes 
you, you have to circumvent the globe to figure out what you really should be doing. And frankly, I was more afraid of coming to Los Angeles than a third world country. And I, rightly so. I completely agree. I started stand up at 42. There you go. And yeah. So exactly right. There's no such thing as a late bloomer. It's just. No, your, because it's your mind. It's not it's, like we're fucking athletes, you know, nobody's going to ask us to jump far today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or better, better not. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so now story worthy seems like a logical starting point because you've built all this life experience. You're kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of like in the same way. I've just, I told someone the other day, it took 20 years of bad decisions to come up with enough material to start doing stand up. <laughs> yeah, you just have to get knocked down a certain way, super hard. And yeah. at some point it goes and it just flips and then you get on the path. Yeah, my, my life could be your humor from now on, me getting continually kicked in the balls for like 14 years. But so how, so how did you start this story? The story worthy, was a story worthy the first project that started? Story worthy podcast. Yeah, that's my first show. I, start, I didn't start that till 2010. So the first, you know, 13 wow. years I was in LA, I was in a lot of commercials, like a whole lot. But, but, but I also did a lot of other shitty jobs. Like I gave tours of the story worthy of the, excuse me, I, you should edit. I, I just looked at a message in the corner. Don't look at messages when you're podcasting people. <laughs> it throws you off. I, I've had, listen, I've had about 80 jobs in Los Angeles. I'm not, well, maybe 40 jobs. I mean, that were off my path. You know what I mean? Like I taught traffic school. I did tours <laughs> of movie stars homes. I dubbed French porn. I've been a voiceover actress. I've just done a lot of things. And I, ha I happen to do a lot of commercials, like, like a lot. You've got to help me out with the, with the star tour things. Okay. Yeah. Do you actually make the, are they making that shit up? Is that a lot, that of, person, times. lot, a lot of, of times? A lot of times people are not a lot of times, but there are definitely people have different stories about different parts of LA. And when you're going into Beverly Hills, Bel Air, you're seeing homes that are behind bushes. So you don't really even see the home. So it doesn't matter who you say, say it doesn't matter whose home you say it is because they can't get a picture anyway. Plus most people on the tour buses don't speak English. So it's like, blah, 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 Kelly Clarkson, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, blah, 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 you know, Ellen, blah, 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 Angelina Jolie. And then they're all into it. And, but, but, Anyway, it's fun though. It's fun to just take the tour because you get a good sense of Los Angeles and you know how it is, Dan, there's city parts and then it leads into these beautiful homes. And then now you're in the city again and Sunset Boulevard goes all the way from Union Station in downtown Los Angeles, where there's of course many, many high rises all the way through some not so good parts of Los Angeles and then through mid city and essentially you get to Santa Monica and the, and the ocean. So there's all these different levels of living, you know, you, on Sunset Boulevard, you'll see, you know, Beverly Hills and Bel Air, like I mentioned, the Palisades. And on the other end, you're going to see Koreatown and uh, you know, places not as great Echo Park right. or whatever. Exactly so I'm just right. saying it's, it's, it's an interesting tour because you do see a lot, even if the facts aren't coming through. <laughs> doesn't matter so, who cares how many how many episodes have you done of Storyworthy now Story what are you worthy, up to? i'm on like 664 or 665 holy shit that is a lot 
It is a lot. And I came up with a concept in 2010. Basically, I'd been going to The Moth a lot. And The Moth is a storytelling show out of New York City where anybody can get up and tell a true five-minute story. And I would do that a lot here in LA. There are moths in all states. They have classes. They have. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a nonprofit, but it's very big and wide and I've won it like three times and, you know, thank you. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but, but, but anyway, I would do them a lot. And while I'd be at the shows, I would always have questions after the story was over and the host would just say, uh, you know, okay, Dan Green, thank you so much. The next storyteller would come to the stage and I'd be like, wait, 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 Dan, 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 what happened then? <laughs> you know, and I have questions. Sometimes right. I ch chase people to their cars, you know, wait, wait, wait. And so that was happening, the storytelling, and I was getting into that. And in terms of wanting to know more people's stories, and at the same time, I was listening to Adam Carolla, who I used to be a huge fan of. I mean, I still like him, but I was a huge fan of him when he was on the radio. Uh, Kate, I forget which one, KSXM, I forget which one. But the point is, is Adam took over for Howard Carroll, or excuse me, Adam took over for Howard Stern. So Howard had been on the radio, which I listened to like religiously. And then he went to Sirius XM, Terrestrial Radio, or, you know, not Terrestrial Radio. So Adam took over and then Adam's show got taken over. Like one minute, they were this amazing radio program every morning and I listened to all the time. And then the next day it was, uh, was like a, it was, no, it was a, uh, a Mexican music like a latina right. latino sound the whole, the whole, whole station changed hands. yeah it just switched and it went out from everybody's feet like nobody saw it coming and it was a big deal in los angeles at the time 2009 and adam carolla made his own podcast so it was like howard went to a serious xm and then adam made this podcast so and i was a big fan of adam so i went to adam's podcast and you know i consumed it and it just clicked to me wait a second I could do storytelling. I could ask the questions I want to ask. And then I could podcast because Adam made it a reality to me. So wow. that's how I started the show, Dan. Well, there you go. How, so who's been, who do you think, without having to name favorites here, who has been, who's been your favorite, the best guest you've had out of 600 episodes of Story Smash? Who do you think? You mean like famous guests or? Oh, not so much famous, but who, what's, which story do you think has been the most amazing story you've heard out of somebody? It's so difficult because they're, they, you know, the stories range from uh, a girl that writes on the show Glow. Her name is, she's so beautiful, long red hair. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of her name right now. Darn it. But anyway, she told a story about being run over by a train. Okay, oh, boom. She was shit. run over by a train. You know, what the fuck, right? Yeah, you're hanging That's around for that story. If you hear that, if she opens <laughs> with that, you're hanging around for the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so great. She's fantastic. And I see her perfectly, and her name's going to come to me. But anyway, so that was amazing. And then I've had on Bobcat Goldthwait telling a hilarious story about entertaining for the Juggalos at one of their <laughs> crazy concerts, you know, and getting Fago Pop sprayed on him. Super funny. And then I've had on Larry King three times, and we became friends. So that's oh, kind of cool. Rest, yeah. in peace for, rest in peace, Larry. No what kidding. Amazing, and what an amazing guy. Really good guy. Really good guy. Very generous and uh, just, just – great children and not great guy. It's, it's sad that he passed. 
I've also had on Scott Ian, you know, from uh, from Anthrax. Anthrax. I drove oh, wow. to his home in in yeah, Topanga Canyon, and chatted with Scott, which was awesome. And I'm picturing like this really hardcore rock and roller. And I, 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 what it is, I'm friends with his wife. So I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm walking into. You know, how, what, who's going to, what's, what's going to be happening when I walk in? I've got all my equipment with me. And he opens the door and he's sitting at the kitchen table with his mom looking for a used car. <laughs> rock and roll. Rock and roll. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Just a regular dude, you know? That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. No, I love, I love your, uh, the whole concept of, of story, story worthy. Cause I'm a storyteller myself. We have a saying in Australia, there's a criminal wrote a whole bunch of books in Australia. His name was Mark Chopper Reed. And what he did was what he, he wrote six bestsellers in jail while he was illiterate. He taught himself how to read and write and wrote six, six, six books in jail. And he always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good yarn. <laughs> And which was interesting. I was like, oh, okay. So Australians have a tendency of fabricating the occasional detail every once in a while. You go look yeah. at an Australian and go, are you fucking with me or is this legit? And you're like, no, 80% legit. That's you're just funny. Gonna, you've got to figure out what the 20 is is bullshit in the, in the thing. But yeah. Okay. It was Sasha Rothschild. Thank you very much. She's won Emmy Awards. Oh. I should have known that. Anyway, Sasha Rothschild got run over by a train. Hear all about it on the Story Worthy Podcast. Yeah, hey, one, more, one more <laughs> that I think is really funny is uh, Esther Koo. She's a comedian. And mm -hmm. she talked about breaking into some guy's apartment and then who she was dating. He wasn't home. And then his wife came to the door who she didn't even know he had a wife. And so there's like these crazy stories, <laughs> but when you ask somebody to bring a story, you know, from their life, a true story that they don't have to exaggerate, they usually bring a good one because, you know, everybody has at least one good one. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. It doesn't something you can you can work in a comedic environment it doesn't have to be laugh a minute funny it can be it could be compelling at the same time and people will listen to that and that's clearly what you've got going on on with your show but i have but but the difference is i do have on comedians yes you do 98 percent. so that's one different kind of a thing because you know there's a lot of kind of storytelling there's npr-ish storytelling which i can find boring sometimes there's a lot of uh, elderly people who I love elderly people don't get me wrong but they can get you know it can get long and bore, boring it depends on the topic it depends on who you're talking about my show story worthy is stories being told by comedians that might give you some insight as to who they are okay so I'm not going to ask you to name names but after 600 episodes were there any story episode story worthy episodes that were like oh my god this is Someone just confessed to a murder, basically, or something like that. <laughs> Some, no, somebody's given, a, given up a story that's too much, and you're like, oh, shit, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could broadcast that. <laughs> uh, you know, right now there's a guy on named uh, Basim Youssef, and his story oh, wow. is about being basically outcast from e Egypt, where he was a star, and then the government turned on him, and he had to flee. It was during the uh, the... Uh, what's it called? The April rising. The, no. uh, it was the uh, Arab spring. No. Arab spring. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> During the Arab spring. Anyway, big deal. So that's very serious. So I don't know. I mean, maybe they might get pissed off, but I doubt it. Yeah. Basim's story is amazing. That guy basically yeah. ostracized from his whole home country. Couldn't yeah. go home. Right. So 
I met you at the fourth wall at an 11 a.m. in the morning open mic. Now, that's <laughs> commitment, folks. When you're there at 11 a.m. Yeah. in the morning, that's, that's the first one of the day. I always, I always used to gauge that if I could get you to laugh at 11 o'clock in the morning, then I'm doing something right. Then it shouldn't yeah. be a problem at 6 o'clock. That that's why I love that 11 o'clock mic. Yeah, Where me is, too. Where's and your also, favorite spot to, do, to, to, oh. to prep your work? Do you have a favorite? Oh, do you have a favorite stage well, to work off? It's so funny now. I guess I mean I like the improv is my favorite oh, because cool. I do a lot of shows there and stuff. But I mean I, I'll get on pretty much any stage. You know, same as you, Dan. Right? Yeah, all I need is a soapbox that'll hold my weight. That's all I need at that point. Well, and right now, hey, you look good. By the way, you've lost weight. A little bit, not much, but I need to lose. No, you a whole look lot good, more. man. But you're cooking yourself and you're working on yourself, right? Yeah, I'm a lot better, a lot happier place than I was about eight months ago. And are you walking? What's your exercise routine? Well, I've got a torn meniscus. Um, and I've had for a long time. I've got to start doing some more walking. I started for a little while, and I got then I got then I got inside my own head and didn't do it for a bit. And now I need to get back into it. So, you have to move, dude. Everybody yeah. does. You have to move, and if you can't get outside and walk, just do a lot of stretching. Some people call it yoga. But you know what? Whatever it is, just raise your arm, do it slowly, and then put it back down. You can call it yoga or stretching. Just but you got to move. You really do, man. Yeah, it's funny. Occasionally, I run into Jeff Richards outside doing laps of the building, like it's walking the yard in prison. Yeah, uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you, my gosh. Obviously, you're in such a cool spot in West Hollywood. You could easily just get in the sidewalk, walk 20 minutes one way, 20 minutes the other way. You know, just time yourself. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to get into. Uh, live a little longer that way. Good on you. Um, yeah, I've, no, I've had a pretty good. I think I've, I think I've used up about seven of my nine lives at this point. Um, <laughs> but you're very yeah. young. You could easily be with us in 45 years. That's my plan. I yeah, know. I need 45 more years. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, that would be the plan. I'd like. I'd like to do another 40. Another 40 would be good. You'll get it. So, okay, you don't have a. You, you don't have your favorite stage is the improv, and you'll go up anywhere. Have you ever had a nightmare? Have you ever had a nightmare gig? Okay. What's the, what's the worst stand-up experience you've, you've had? I mean, there's a million things. A million I mean, I don't know. I mean, just, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anything's that crazy. I mean, what's a nightmare gig? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's funny, actually. The more comedians I ask this question, the lo you're, you're sort of hinting in the same direction was, if anything went bad, I learned off it anyway. Yeah. And I got better from it. And then you look at it and you can't really focus on it as a being a negative because it's instantly turned into a positive because you've learned from the experience. Unless you come back and do the same, make the same errors 10 times in a row, then you're well, not Well, a lot shit. of it, yeah. It depends on how you work. I mean, a lot of it to me is the easy part is doing the set and taping it. The hard part is listening back and learning from it, listening back and making the edits, making the changes. I mean, that has to be done and that sucks. I mean, that's no fun. So many people don't tape themselves. So many people don't listen back. They keep plowing forward. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but if you listen back, obviously you, you understand very quickly whether it worked or not, even if they're laughing or not laughing, you just hear it. And if you keep listening back and then making the changes wherever you write this stuff down, then it'll get tighter and tighter and tighter. I have a friend who's a comedian and she says she has never written anything down and that's fine. Okay, great. If it works for you, but I have no concept of that. Like I, it's all about the words to me. Yeah. Not writing things down doesn't work for me. I've got to write down. 
a little. I've got to write down a little. I've got to write down a little bit. But I have recorded every <laughs> set I've ever done. And yeah, I felt, great! I felt, wow. I felt I felt weird doing it sometimes because sometimes at an open mic I'm the only guy recording, and people are like, "What are you recording this shit for?" So I can find out if it was shit, how not to do it again, or how to do it better, or pick apart. I go back. I'd go back and re-listen and find out where I got. Two comics in an open mic to laugh. Okay, they laughed at that. Okay, that's that's good. That's gold. Yeah. <laughs> if, two of, if two of them laughed at eight, then that, it'll make that, the cut to the next it'll, edit. It'll make the cut to real people. That'll that'll, that'll work its way through. Yeah. So you've got you've done you've got story worthy. Yeah, story worthy is ground control. That's where uh, everything is storyworthypodcast.com. And from that really wasn't more than six months or a year after I created story worthy, I created a game show and it was called shotgun story worthy. And so it was definitely a spinoff of story worthy. And basically it was a big wheel, like a prize wheel that people would spin whatever they land on. They tell a true story to a certain time. I've, over the years, I've been doing it for 11 years. The time has varied from one minute all the way up to 10 minutes. So it really depends. And the game has changed, right? There, it's an art form. These things change. So over the years, it's changed. It's called Shotgun Story, where the, up until about three or four years ago, by, by the way, the idea of Shotgun Story is what? that you know it's it's like a pregnancy like a shotgun pregnancy or oh, shotgun wow. wedding or you know something happening quick no i'm just saying like shotgun right. it, the pressure of being under the gun as it were of it's course. an expression it's an expression right. anyway it, during the game show if if you go over your time the clock the clock then you would hear this loud like a cock of a gun like <laughs> <laughs> An enormous, you know, you get shot. And it's, it's very funny. Right. Some people would like pretend to be shot, then stagger off stage, you know, whatever. It was just a deal. And this went on for, I don't know, nine years, like eight years, a long time. And then one day I was sitting in the improv and I am, you know, I'm hosting the show and I'm off stage for a second and I'm hearing the gun go off again and again. And I'm thinking, I can't what why are these guns going off and i'm thinking this is all because i i'm making them go off what am i doing it just sounds like murder in this place anyway <laughs> it just wasn't good in the main room they didn't know what was going on in the lab and anyway i uh decided i had to change it and a buddy of mine came up you know was trying to change i had all sorts of ideas and a buddy of mine said story smash and he gave me that idea. And that's what we do now. We call it Story Smash. It's called Story Smash. And if you go over your time, you hear glass smashing, which is much more, you know, easy to, easier to hear. can't have the good old days where we could fire a gun inside and no one would freak out. Right. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It was disturbing. Oh, so I love Story Smash. I think it's, I think it's a fantastic thing. I I've do been too. On a, I've been on it a couple of times. And it really does encourage you to think fast on the fly because you've, you've got basically about 10 seconds to prepare a two-minute story on a topic she's, uh, that Christine has just spun up for you. <laughs> and, uh, You're coming yeah. on quite short, uh, shortly here. It's every Friday night, 7 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube live. It doesn't cost anything. You don't even have to be on those devices. You could just log on. It's public. And oh, look at that! Our friend 
Dan Green is on February, excuse me, March 19th. March 19th coming up. March 19th. Tell them big fish stories. It's a Friday night. No, look, we fact check every story. You know that. Oh, you know I don't bullshit either. That's half, that's half my problem. <laughs> my, my problem is my stories sometimes get too realistic. I told, a story ah. at the, I told a story at the fourth wall once, which I thought was hilarious. And it was about the first time I pistol whipped somebody. And pistol whip. Ah, that sounds so horrible. Well, it, well, well, don't worry. The two, don't worry. The, the guy I hit was a very horrible guy. He wasn't a very nice guy, and he was about to do something very bad. I see. And in order to, but I smacked him with a smacked him with a handgun, and he went. He oh, had knocked God. him out in one in one hit. And I can fr- imagine. His friend next to him is standing there, and I looked at his friend. I was like, "Holy shit, dude! That's just like the movies." I said, "That's amazing." Can you believe that works That's that well? And the guy's yeah. looking at me going, is he going to hit me? I said, <laughs> no, no, I can't hit you. You have to drag your friend out of here. I'm not dragging both of you out of here. And yeah, I thought that, and I thought that was funny. And then I looked up and I looked up and everybody in that room is just looking at me like in shock. And I'm like, well, we're not going to do the second half of this story. Cause if that, that first half freaked you out, then the second half is going to have you all crying. So. What did, what did he do the guy anyway? What was uh, he going to do? He was about to sexually assault somebody. Oh, wow. So, yeah, him and his friend were about to, about to do that. That was that. I that would want you on my side that. all the time, Dan Green. Yeah, well, those guys will be thinking, those guys probably got a, one of them at least has a reminder of why you shouldn't do that again. Jeez. And wow. Yeah, a little bit quicker than the court system at that point. But I was, uh, working, <laughs> I was, working, I was working private security for the person that, they were about to do something very bad to, and I just left her for the evening and gone home and I got a call wow. back, but she wow. said, you need to come back to the apartment. And I'm like, all right. And they were sitting outside the front door. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're going to get he- creative at that point. I couldn't shoot him and I didn't really feel like hitting both of them. So I was like, all right, let's try the backhand and let's see how my backhand is. Oh my God. Oh God. Oh <laughs> God. Well, it's better than shooting them. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of anything like that. I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I, my hands are clean in that regard. Good. Uh, <laughs> I'm a good boy. Well, not completely, but yeah, in that regard, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how important do you think? Uh, well, I mean, you have your, you have your family. How important is that as a support structure to a comedy career? You know, boy, you know, if somebody can talk you out of being a comedian, then you should do something else. I mean, I know you've heard that before, but it's true. I mean, if there's anything else you can do, you should do that. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just talking about comics. I'm talking about actresses and actors and, you know, really creative people in the filmmaking world or commercial world or designing world. I mean, these careers are difficult. But everybody can do do them at different. You know, everybody's at a different pace. Everybody's doing something different. So it depends on what you want. If you need a washer and dryer, you're probably not going to be a comic. You just aren't. <laughs> it's not a big deal. But if you have to have a garage, you need to have a driveway. You want to have a certain car. You're probably not going to be a comic. That's fine. It's all fine. But if you can live in your car like Dan Green and you hustle and you do, you know, then things are possible, but it's not at all given to you. It's just, you know, and some people are financially, you know, taken care of maybe their family or whatever, but they still struggle because you, you really, everybody starts from the same place. Nothing is written on the page (laughs) until you do it. 
I had a friend. I had a friend who's a ex rock star here in LA, and the first thing he told me the the first week I got here was, "You need to figure out how broke you can be, yeah, and then you'll have maximum creativity, right? Because if you want to live comfortably, he said, if you want to have the driveway, like you said, and the garage and the and the house, well, you'll spend six days a week working for it, and you'll have no time to come out here and do what you came out here to do. But he said, if you can sacrifice all the wants in your wants column and just just stick with the needs then you'll have so much time to get better at your craft and he's right he's completely right because from day one that's all i did was just slam straight into open mic rooms and try and learn as much as i could as quickly as i could you have you've you're you're like part of the i mean you're totally part of the scene now dan well that's that's all right i stopped drinking that kind of helped a little bit for me but well, not really. I mean, I, I paused drinking. Someone said the other day, oh, you gave up alcohol? I was, I was drinking two bottles of bourbon a week in my last job. And oh, my gosh. Two bottles oh, of bourbon a week? a week? Yeah, easy. Wow. Easy. And I went cold turkey. Actually, I gave up booze. The first six months I gave up booze, I didn't even realize I was doing it. I just was the pandemic helped because I'm a bit of a yeah. communal drinker. If you're not by, if you're by yourself, it's, it's a really couldn't get into it and one of the rules i had in the car was i'm not going to drink in the car because now i'm a drunk in a car i'm not somebody living in their car temporarily now i'm a drunk in a car wow yeah it's so true yeah didn't want to be a drunk and drunk in a car and i didn't sleep in the car during the day because i didn't want to be somebody who looked like they weren't trying to get out of the situation they're in sure sure you did it yeah and that's no disrespect to anybody who sleeps in their car during the day but that was just the the approach i was giving and alcohol is so um, fattening, unfortunately. There's a lot of calories and people, you know, they look at themselves and think, why, why did I get that gut or why did I get that, you know, that waistline? What's going on with my butt? It's like, how much are you drinking? Because there's so many empty calories. So that has to help you too. Well, that's the thing. I just, I stopped, I stopped getting drunk. And that was the big thing. I, I mean, if you put a 40-year-old burp, a whiskey in front of me right now, I will woof that down without a problem. And I haven't had a drink of whiskey in 11 months. But if you put the right thing in front of me, I was bottle of mezcal behind yeah. me. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, you're not an alcoholic. You're just saying that right now you need to deposit to, to, to carry yourself. Oh, I probably was an alcoholic, but I, I've, oh. uh, I've, oh, definitely. For Did you thing. drink when you were working at the Laugh Factory? Could you drink then? You can't drink on duty, right? While I work, no. While I work, no. Um, yeah, good. That's some, but that's, but in the past, a lot of that, that was probably the first bouncing job I've done sober. Mm. Now, um, I think it'd be really bad to drink if you're a bouncer. I mean, because it's already things can be escalated so easily and you have to be in control. You know, well, I, you have the, to be. You're the, you're well, the one. You're getting paid. That's what you're getting paid to do. I work doors as well. And you need to have a little bit of a little bit of a buzz on the talk to drunk people. Otherwise you'll just lose your mind by the end of the night. Uh, <laughs> that's when you, you, your patience is tested by people and uh yeah that's where I, that's basically where i did crowd work for about for about eight years straight in front of those clubs just doing right. six conversations at once um do you have I, I think uh we brought up a lot on this show how important men, comedy mentors are to people did you have any mentors going through the scene who helped you find your feet or are you just hound solo all the way through this thing yeah, I pretty much have been a solo act <laughs> this whole time. Here's what some people don't realize. You know, I, I know it's so, it seems obvious. It is to me. If you don't know something, 
Google it. Like you rich, really just write in your URL. You just write like, how do I remove the audio track from GarageBand or whatever the question is? How do I, what I just write these questions in 98% of the time, the answer will come up. So if you want to learn something, please don't tell me you don't, you don't know. Look it up, man. Just look yeah. it up. And if there, are you no, wanna, there are no stupid Googles. Right. And if you, if you want to sit through the YouTube excuse me, if you want to sit through the YouTube video, a good one, then you will. And if you don't, you won't. So there's no judgment. It's just don't complain if you don't have something now when it's accessible to all. Right. I think YouTube's built on the basis of if someone Googled something on YouTube and it wasn't there, then they instantly made their own video for that thing. Once they solved <laughs> the problem it was like, right here, I'm going to tell you how to fix this thing. It's amazing. So oh, I amazing. Love, it saves my ass every day. I'm, I'm yeah, YouTubing, too. YouTubing something that I've broken and, and yeah. trying to fix it. Sure. Every time. It makes sense. So the pandemic comes around and you're to set the scene folks story smash and story worthy was on stage at the improv before then. Um, how long into the pandemic do you make the jump and go, you know what, we're in this for the long haul. I'm going to have yeah. to make this thing go online. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, it's so true. And I, you know, the last person I was in front of was in March, like early March last year. And that had maybe been my 620th guest. Like I had never done a remote podcast in my whole life. I'd never, I, that was part of my deal. Like, no, I have to be in front of the person. Sorry. I have to be in front of the person. Well now, you know, it's pushed and it's changed. And now I've been in front of people and, you know, I have people from London, people from Switzerland, people from New York on the show all the time. And there's, it's just an array. It can be anybody. It's so exciting. So in a way it really has, uh, it's made things better in a lot of ways. And I think in the future, there's always going to be a virtual aspect to almost everything we do because we've found that it works. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that was the thing very quickly in uh, the pandemic. If you either, obviously what has happened was a curse, but you had to look past that and go, well, maybe it's an opportunity as well. Yeah. And it certainly, it certainly was for me. I mean, the content I've been able to put out uh, during the pandemic after a, uh, after three weeks of being depressed and going, this is fucked and what have I done? And then going, well, okay, well, I need to unfuck this situation and do this. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that's it depends on how motivated you are. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, I had to eat and I was like, all right, we're going, we're going to get this thing going. But, uh, and I'm, I'm like yourself and you've managed to, you've managed to put, a, get, put together a very impressive online product, which is, Thanks. which is really cool. Um, yeah, thanks. I've tried so many different ways, so many different platforms. You know, I did Zoom and Zoom webinar and 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 and, and Crowdcast and StreamYard and I've just used all these different things. I've had to try things and then things fail and then I pay for this and I shouldn't have paid for that and then I pay for that and it works. It's just so much trial and error. But the biggest thing if people want to do stuff is just to copy whatever other people are doing. It's very simple, really. You just ask somebody, how, who is hosting your podcast? How are you, you know, doing this? Uh, how do you make your graphics or whatever? If you have the information, you can do it. Just some people don't want to take the time and learn. Right. So, Christy, where can people find your your shows right now? Where's the best place to where's the best place for them to find them? Well, ChristineBlackburn.com is pretty clear because that's you know my name. 
And then there's storyworthypodcast.com <laughs> and then storysmashshow.com. Story Smash Show. You'll see highlights from the show and you'll see people coming up, people have already played. It's incredibly funny every Friday night, no matter where you are in the world. Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. And you'll see it live on Facebook and YouTube. Just Google, or excuse me, just write in the search Story Smash, the storytelling game show. Story Smash. See, now that's polished. That's what I want to be one day when I'm promoting my stuff. So one last question before we, before we leave today. What advice would you give to somebody who's starting out with an idea for a pop project or a podcast or a show online that they're, or even offline, that they're passionate about? Seeing as you've built your entire story-worthy media empire, how do we, how do we, how does someone build that from, what, what's the best piece of advice you can give for somebody? You need to have a website because that will be your ground central. So don't start a show if you can't get the domain. Get the domain first. And not only that, get all the socials that are free. You don't have to do anything on TikTok, but you should have an account that will direct people in the description where you do want them to go. So have a ground central. That should be the website and in order to have that website, get the domain name. And if you can't get that domain name, name, change your idea. And from the domain name, get the socials and start getting colors in mind. Look at websites you like, write them down. Just throw everything you have at the wall. Just throw it on the wall. I work a lot in what's called notes here on Apple, on Apple computers. I use something called notes. I just throw it on the wall, man, or use a Google doc or use a pages or whatever you work in word document, whatever it is, just throw your ideas on the page. Cause you can't be wrong. And you'll come back to those ideas. That's fantastic advice, Christine. Well, folks, there you have it. If you're trying to start something out, that's the best advice ever. Get your domain name. All right. And that happened with me. I, I, when I did, when I did uh, G'day from LA, there's a reason that it has three A's in it is because G'day yeah. from LA was taken. So I was yeah, like, okay, well, go. we're going to make this a big G'day. Then. That's how it's going to work out. <laughs> I, so love it. I, took, I took, I took a Christine lesson and learned. That's Yay. how it works, folks. Well, Christine, thank you very much for coming on the verbal gym sure. and sharing your story with us today. Folks, if you get a chance, Please go and check out her, her shows, Story Smash and Story Worthy. Uh, and yeah, thank you for coming by the Verbal Gym. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. <laughs>